welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. I don't know if I can preach after that, but the mental anguish that Jesus felt far surpasses the physical pain that he suffered. As the multiplied guilt of all people was placed upon him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Thank you, Mateo, for your ministry in song. Praise God, and we here as a church support you in your ministry. Every true Christian desires passionately to have the blessedness of a life affirmed by God. Who amongst us wants to walk under the curse of God's disapproval? Not one. Too often, we fail to notice the positives because we're overwhelmed by the negatives. Perhaps the reason we tend to see the troubles more than the blessings is because we're not really blessed. Have you ever thought about that? Instead of standing in the showers, we're sitting in the fog. But God has given us instruction on how to tap into his exhaustless reservoir of blessing. Would you all like to know how it's done? Good. Then turn with me to the first chapter of Psalms. Psalm chapter 1. Verse 1 begins with the phrase, blessed is the man. Of course, this is a generic term, blessed is the man or woman or child, a phrase used 13 times in the Bible. A person who is blessed has a joyful confidence and security in God. He or she doesn't worry, fear, or dismay, or despair, but lives in a state of happiness. Circumstances like tumbling walls can be crashing in on every side, but they flinch not because they trust in God, who has blessed them with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is what God desires each of us to have. But there are conditions to this blessedness. And compliance to these conditions will most certainly bring the showers of blessings into your life. Verse 1 gives detail to the first condition. Let's look at it, the first condition that the psalmist gives. Reading from verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The first condition is quite plain. 
Select your company with caution. Because evil associations can wield a powerful change in your characters. For this reason, the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, the blessed person does not walk in the state of mind which the ungodly cherish. In the Bible, ungodliness can refer to both pagans and Christians. The people of Sodom were said to be ungodly. The enemies of King David were termed ungodly. Even the leaders in Israel became what? Ungodly. Jeremiah 23, 11 says, Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Now, if this verse doesn't alarm you, then you better turn up the volume a little bit. Because the scriptures teach that no matter how spiritually charged you are now, if you're not walking with the right people, you might just get unplugged. The path of the ungodly is a rocky one, filled with obstructions and dead ends. But blessed is the man who walks not in their counsel. Amen? The blessed of God don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Neither do they stand in the way of sinners. Now, what is the human conscience? The human conscience to me is is like the Urim and Thummim of the high priest. It mysteriously impresses our hearts with direction. Whether we're living in sin or enticed to sin, Our consciences help us make the right choices. Unfortunately, many people have lost the purity of conscience, especially in this day and age. In Titus chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and consciences are defiled. This is the way of a sinner. And the blessed of God do not stand with those who persist in sinning deliberately. A true Christian will reject the companionship of men who are determined for the practice of sin. They shrink from the thought of deafening their moral perceptions from the still small voice of their loving Lord. But this is not the only reason why they don't stand in the way of sinners. The blessed of God are wise enough to know that standing with sinners will eventually end up in sitting in the seat of the scornful. Now, there's no greater state of hopelessness than to sit in the seat of the scornful. Anyone who sits in that seat is sitting at the very center of Satan's activity. They have taken their stand against the God of heaven and openly ridicule all that is called Christian. For sure, the blessed of God are not found joking and jesting with scoffers. For God's people love and honor his name. They sing with King David. I will praise you, O my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever and ever. Now, um, in this verse, we find what I call a 
threefold regression of piety. And a fitting of example of this miserable trilogy is seen in Peter's denial of Christ. Let's look at it in John chapter 18, beginning in verse 8. You remember when the crowds, the mob came to take Jesus away after they left the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, at that point, indirectly tells his disciples to get away and don't go after him. Remember, he told the soldiers, I'm the one you want. Don't hurt my fellow disciples, my friends. Take me. I'm the one you need. I'm the one you want. And in saying that, he indirectly bade his disciples not to go after him. But what happens a little later? We find that Peter followed him. Now listen to this. Peter chose to walk in direct opposition to the command of Christ. In John 18, 15, says, Simon Peter, what? Followed Jesus. Friends, disobedience is ungodliness. But the story continues. It doesn't stop there. Soon after Peter walks in his own accord, we find him standing with the wrong crowd. John 18, 18, a few verses down, you can read, And the servants and the scoffers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter, what? Stood with them and warmed himself. But do you think we're done there? No, let's go further. Uh, For we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 55, And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, And were set down together, Peter, what? Sat down with them. First he walked, then he stood, and then he sat. What we see here is a weakening of the moral powers. When a person is tired of walking, what do they do? Stand. When a person is tired of standing, what do they do? As it is in the physical, so it is with the spiritual. Our moral energies begin to weaken the very moment, like Peter, we choose to walk in direct opposition to the command or the word of God. Especially when we know, when we make a conscious choice in our minds to go against the principles of truth, at that moment, We are treading on dangerous ground. So then, if we want to live a life full of blessings, we must be diligent to guard ourselves from the devices of the ungodly. There were two uh, boys who were standing, and a bull was, was very upset and charged them. One of the boys, he said, let's kneel and pray. The other one said, no, let's run and pray. I think some of, some of us, we parlay with and we play with it, or we crawl away, I heard once, hoping that it will catch up to us again. But many times, like Joseph, we need to flee temptation. Amen? Proverbs 22 says, In the paths of the ungodly lie thorns and snares, but he who guards his soul stays away from them. At this point, we've studied what the blessed of God should do. 
or should not do. Now we will find out what things they should do. This here is the second condition. Verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But this is what he does. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate how many times? Day and night. Evening and morning, every day, all throughout the day, he's communing with God by meditating on his word. The blessed of God will find themselves patiently and uninterruptedly striving to become more and more like Jesus. And they find the power of development in the prayerful and thoughtful meditation of God's law. For them, they don't view the law as a burden, but as a pleasure. Verse 2 says that God's children find delight in the law of the Lord. Now, taking delight in God's word is like applying WD-40 to a squeaky hinge. When we find delight in the law, it really heightens the joy and accentuates the colors of Christianity. They say that if you love your employment, you'll never work another day in your life. Is that right? If we fall in love with God, then we will fall in love with his holy law. And if we fall in love with the law, then we will find pleasure in meditating on it, chewing upon it, and letting it be assimilated in our lives. Jesus said that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and that his commandments are not, what? Burdensome. But why do we lose the desire to study the Bible? Well, there could be a lot of reasons. Uh, It could be the lack of necessary tools. Now, someone here I know, um, my dad here, he has a lot of tools. Are tools important? Okay, very important. Now, if you're going to assemble something and you, you have the manual, you have everything, but you don't have the tools, are you going to have fun assembling that? No, so it's important that we have the right tools, right? Well, what are our needs if we want to study the Bible and get into it and start appreciating it? Well, of course, you need a Bible, first of all. Then uh, we need a concordance. Perhaps the Bible dictionary, there are a few things, the study tools that you can use. Um, but, you know, if you have a computer, this is the computer age, so why don't you just go and get ESOR, download it for free on your Bible. You have your phones, PDAs, you can download all these uh, wonderful Bible study tools that will help you see and appreciate the beauty of the Scriptures. Because nowadays the Bible is collecting dust, and right now is not the time for that. Brothers and sisters, let's wipe the dust off and let's get into the Word of God. But take note, I believe the main reason why people don't delight in studying the Scriptures is because their minds are filled with worldly pleasure. Mammon has become their God, and the bread of life has lost its flavor. It's time for change, and there's no better time than now. We can still confess our pride and repent from our indifference. Take heart. Be determined. You can succeed. Yes, you may feel weak. There are times when you feel like, I just can't do it. I can't gain an appreciation of God's word. But what can we do? Claim the promise. 
I can do all things through Christ who, what? Strengthens me. For he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Ask God to help you find pleasure in his word. Do you think that uh, if you have, I mean, your father, your earthly father, and he loves you and you have a wonderful relationship with him, that if, if you asked him for something that would be beneficial to you, do you think your father would say, no, I reject you? No, he would do everything to find out how he can gain enough money or whatever to get you that which will help you in your life. Well, how much more God? If you ask him, God, help me, help me, I need your help. I need to to gain a, a deeper hunger and thirst for your word. God will answer your prayer. For his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear, neither his arm shortened that he cannot save. For the Bible says in Psalm chapter 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And as you grow in an appreciation of God's word, you will find reflection to be sweet, for you will meditate on his law day and night. The sad thing is, is that in these days and in this country, meditation has become a lost art. Due to all the secular duties clamoring for our attention, we have become incapable of sustained thought, of prolonged consideration of divine truth. And this poses a great threat, doesn't it? Lest our Christian character suffer from want of earnest and devout meditation. But why is it so important? Why is it so important? Well, meditation is how the principle of what you believe in becomes a part of who you are and who you become. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is what? So is he. By beholding, we are changed. In layman terms, you become whatever dominates your thoughts. So what are we thinking? That's why we must keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We must fill our minds with the precious truths of God's word. The prophet David, what did he say? Thine word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When we hide God's word in our heart, when we meditate upon God's word, it gives us the power to resist temptation and we can live above sin. We can be more than conquerors through him who has loved us and given himself for us. Now, have you complied with these two conditions? Have you shunned all evil associations and are you striving to become more and more like Jesus through the thoughtful and prayerful meditation of God's word. Because Psalm chapter 1 verse 3 says that the person who's complying, the person who says, yes, Lord, whatever you say, I will do it, and they do it. What does it say? That person shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. To conclude the explication of the righteous, the psalmist uses a powerful metaphor. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. 
The most majestic and dignified fruit trees were once planted by someone's hand. Never any good tree grew of itself. And this is true for the righteous. They are planted by the hand of God. He is the one who transplants us from the dry wastelands of sin to the fertile plains of salvation. These rivers of water symbolize the flood of grace that flows from the cross of Calvary for you and me. When God plants us, he plants us in the very fertility of his presence. Amen? Psalm 92, 12-14 says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and luxuriant. Friends, the one who planted you will take care of you. In this plummeting economy, do we need to hold on to God? Amen. He is our sustenance. He is our provider. He is our defense. He's our strong tower. The Bible says when we run into that tower, we are kept safe from any harm and danger. God will protect all of us as we faithfully walk in his footsteps. Verse 3, what does it say? He goes on to say, This tree shall bring forth fruit in its season. Now, most trees are seasonal, right? I can remember when I lived with my grandma. We had the most amazing plum tree. I mean, that tree yielded more plums than you can imagine. I cannot believe even the branches were able to bear all those fruits. And I can remember how sad and devastated I was as a young boy. Like, how old are you? Fifteen? So a 15, maybe a little younger than that, um, how devastated I was inside to see that they're all gone. Oh, it was such a devastating time for me. You know, sometimes we get discouraged because we go through long periods of time without seeing much growth in our lives. But according to Psalm 1, the evidence of fruit comes in its season. I can remember looking at the tree out of season. The whole thing looked dried up and dead. It didn't look like there was any life at all in it. What I didn't realize was that even in its apparent deadness, that old faithful plum tree was quietly yet busily priming itself for the next spectacular season. I encourage you to be patient. Remember that Christian development is abstruse. It begins under the surface, quietly and consistently. Stay true to your calling. Be faithful in everything you do, and God will prime you for another spectacular season of fruitfulness. In the parable of the sower, Jesus says in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, The seed that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, Keep it and bear fruit with what? Patience. Its leaf also shall not wither. Now, this healthy leaf is a similitude of a healthy person. Just as a leaf absorbs the rays of the sun to nourish the tree, 
So the righteous absorb the rays of truth to nourish the soul. The blessed of God frequently take in the carbon of ridicule and shame, but are always dispersing the oxygen of love and grace from their lives. For they are a savor of life unto life. Everything they think, every word they speak, and everything they do carries the stamp of God upon it. They shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that beareth its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and what? Whatsoever he do doeth shall prosper. The word prosper in Hebrew is selah, and it means to divide, press forward, or press through. The efforts of the blessed always find success. Even in the face of the most death-defying circumstances, God will see them through, and God will also see you through in whatever enterprise they prosper. Regardless of the success or failure of their undertaking, their trust in God empowers them to draw life from the eternal source, and ultimately reach their goal. This is the picture of the righteous. This is a picture of the blessed of God. This is a picture of what God wants for his children. He's waiting right now to pour out all heaven into your life. There was a little boy, and that little boy went to Jesus. And he asked Jesus, Jesus, how much do you love me? And what was his response? I love you this much, stretched out his hands and died. And our Jesus loves you that much, willing to give his whole entire life for your salvation with what he has done for us, the magnitude of the sacrifice of the condescension of Jesus Christ. How can we not respond by laying our entire life on the altar as a living sacrifice for him? Is it your desire? There may be some here at this time who maybe you don't feel, you don't feel that God is opening up the windows of heaven for you. Maybe you, you don't feel that you, the presence of God, the power of God, and the blessings of God are flowing in your life. And so right now, I'd like to extend the opportunity for you to come forward. Those who are just wondering, can I have more power to overcome? Is there a possibility that really God's hand isn't shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear? I tell you right now, we're going to have a prayer for you. You come up here. If you have these desires and you wish God to empower your life and that you may be also a channel of blessing for others. I'll just wait here and we'll have special prayer. Now, it's not just limited to this group. We'll wait. If you feel that on your heart, please, please come forward. And we're going to have a special prayer for you. I remember when I was struggling, I had burdens on my shoulders. And there at Camp SoCal, the preacher made an altar call. 
He said, those who are weighed down by sin, those who are suffering of the bird, under the burden of oppression, I want you to come forward, and I'm going to have special prayer for you. And I went forward, and I tell you, at that moment, God's power filled my life. He broke the chains of sin, and he gave me freedom in Jesus. And he will do that for you. If you feel this, the call, come forward, and let's have a special prayer for you. There are still some people coming forward, and we'll wait for them. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Blessed Lord. We have more people coming forward. There's no better time than right now to ask God to control, take full control of your life. You know, when you stand for Jesus, you're not standing alone. Amen. Amen. All right, let's bow our heads reverently and pray. Our gracious God in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we come before your throne. You pierce into every person's heart and you see the troubles, the trials, the struggles, the pains, the joys, the challenges that we all face. And you, O oh God, are the solution to all of our problems. And so we extend our hands, our hearts. We place them upon your hand. And we ask you to bring healing to our lives. Thank you for this beautiful church of Hayward. And thank you for all the members who have joined together as one to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The times are tough. Economy is plummeting. But, oh God, the riches of heaven are abundant for all of your children. Thank you for the challenges. And thank you for the struggles. We praise your holy name. In the name of Jesus, everyone says, Amen. Amen. Join us again next time for the Word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.